Well, welcome to Fair's Come Follow Me Resources New Testament Year, where we are going to go through the text each week, tr- looking for and trying to pick out some questions that an evangelical or Protestant friend or family member might ask a member of our church. I'm going to try to give you an informed and faithful answer to those questions. So you don't have to feel so nervous about sharing your testimony of Jesus Christ, sharing your love of the New Testament with them. We have a lot in common with them, and we also have some distinctives to offer them. So that's what we're doing here, just to get you caught up. And we start off on a big one in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. I'll read you the verse. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save the people from their sins. Seems pretty straightforward, right? However, an evangelical or Protestant friend might let that raise the question for them of, wait a minute, I thought people in your church didn't really believe that Jesus was God or didn't really believe that he is eternal, that he is part of the Godhead. We say Godhead, they would say Trinity. They're different things. We'll get to that in a different video. It the, the question is a really, really good and honest one. It's the same question I had when I was an evangelical, to, to, to be honest. And it's a really common one. So what I want to do is I'm going to try and show you where they're coming from with that question. Help understand exactly how they're saying things a little bit differently than we are. And offer some suggestions on how you might be able to just normally and naturally talk about your testimony of Jesus Christ in a way that your evangelical or Protestant friend can understand. And in a way that offers them some of the goodness of the gospel in our church that they might not know. So that's what we're doing. So this is a really, really important question to evangelicals. And a lot hinges on this for them. Is Jesus God or isn't he? And it it's generally taught to them, if you get this answer wrong, you will get everything else wrong. So everything hinges on this. And, and there is a lot to respect in their thinking here. If Jesus was just some other good teacher, if he was just a, a, a moral rabbi, if he was just teaching us to be kind to one another, um, that's not making the same claim as saying, Jesus is God came to earth to die and be resurrected to save us from our sins. Those are saying two very different things. And one of the things you're going to see come up over and over and over in this series is that we use the same words to describe some different things. Protestants might say the same thing that we are saying, and we mean some different things. And that's where conversations get difficult, right? Evangelicals are, are largely aware of this as well, that, that we use some of the, the same words to mean different things, and they're suspicious of it. They, they feel like they might get tricked into believing something wrong about Jesus. And that's the most important question to them. The answer to that question changes everything for them. So they're skeptical. And they're worried that that our answers are going, are trying to trick them. So I want to pull back the curtain on that a little bit and help you understand where they're coming from. One of the greatest desires that evangelicals and Protestants have 
is to show loyalty and respect to Jesus Christ. That's an agenda we can all get on board with. But in a conversation with someone from our church, they might approach the topic of Jesus kind of nervously. They don't want to accidentally let clever words trick them. So they're going to be a little bit suspicious. And the thing that makes talking about Jesus with an evangelical even more difficult is that they think that they know what members of our church really think about Jesus. And so their defense mechanisms just kick straight in, right? They're trying to protect that loyalty to Christ. In today's video, we're going to talk about one way that that plays out for them and how it will play out in a conversation for you if you have a conversation with your friends or, or loved ones about this. They believe this sentence about our faith, that Jesus is a literal spirit child of a heavenly father. Now, you just heard that question and, and your ears probably did not perk up. You're saying, well, yeah, that, that, that is what we, but Jesus is the son of God. He's a member of the Godhead. You don't hear anything in that that would worry you. And you might think, oh, my evangelical friend and I are on the same page about that. Let's, let's dig a tiny bit deeper. To say that Jesus is a literal spirit child of God in an evangelical's mind is to say that he is less than God. It, it means to them that he was created at some point in time and therefore is not eternal and therefore can't be considered God. So a statement like that, that seems pretty straightforward to us is a red flag to them. You, you are probably asking yourself at this point, well, wait, don't evangelicals say that Jesus is the son of God? Yes, they do, but they mean something different by it. And when we say he's a spirit born of a heavenly father, they get uncomfortable. They think that diminishes him. Their, their agitation at that question isn't that they're hard-hearted or blind to truth or, or some other thing like that. They don't understand that we believe everyone is a literal spirit child of God, including Jesus. Let me, let me help you see it how they see it. To the evangelical, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit exist as a very special species of being called God in the singular, and no one else will ever join that species. It is the three of them alone, not angels, not humans. They are made of an entirely different thing than we are. Angels or, or demons, to the degree that they believe in such, are a separate species. Humans are a third species still. They, they don't have very much information or theology around this. They just accept that as fact. A human can never become an angel. An angel is nothing like God. A human can never become really like God, just as they could never become an angel. Three very different species. 
new humans are created at the moment of their conception. And at that moment, God creates a new spirit to put into them. That's the evangelical belief. So when we say that Jesus is a, a literal spirit child of a heavenly father, they hear it as he was a new human created at the moment of his conception by the Holy Spirit, they would say it as we would, created at the moment of his conception. And at that moment, his spirit was created and put into him. That's how they hear that sentence. It's really different than what we mean by that sentence. In, in their thinking, a human has about as much chance of becoming the same kind of species as God as a, a cat does to become a dog. It just isn't, it just isn't going to happen. In their thinking, the idea that a human could transcend their species and become God is impossible. So when we say Jesus is a literal spirit child of God, they hear you just think he's a human, that he was just created in at, right at his conception, right nine months before his birth, that that is his origination point, which is not what we believe. When evangelicals say, I am a child of God, and, and they do say that, they, and, they, and they believe that, what do they mean, right? If they don't mean they're literal spirit children of God, how are they children of God if they are also an entirely different species from God? They're, they're like, your thought might be, isn't that a kitten trying to say that it's a puppy? Here's what they mean. Um, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. I'll cite the New International Version just for some clarity. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, what, what they're saying that these verses say is not what these verses say, <laughs> and, and I'll show that to you. They say that this means we are some other species and God adopts us into his family and there would be no other way for us ever to be considered his family. That's how an evangelical hears that th those verses. Now, if you read the entire context of that paragraph of scripture, you will see it is not talking about um, different species. It's actually talking about an underage heir, a child heir to, to his father's kingdom, and the heir must live under some restrictions. And when the time comes for that, that heir becomes the master of the house, those restrictions are, are changed so that he can function as the master of the house. This is not a paragraph about cross-species adoption. <laughs> it's not a paragraph about how we are some other thing that God is not, and he adopts us like he would adopt a puppy. But they hear that word adoption, they combine it with their preconceived idea that God is a different species than us, so that when they say, I am a child of God, what they really mean is, I am not born to God. I'm not the literal spirit child of God. However, he has graciously adopted me into his family 
even though I don't deserve the title because I, I don't belong here by birth. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. They don't say that in any way to be disrespectful to God. They mean an incredible amount of respect in that they are giving a, a huge amount of sovereignty to God. That is what they intend with that statement. But it leads us back to the original question where they say, I thought you didn't believe Jesus is God. You can kind of see what they mean by it now, right? They mean because you say Jesus was born as a spirit child of God, he can't be equal to God. You're just saying that he got adopted in like us humans are. It is a misunderstanding. This question has been overwhelmingly answered by our leaders, by our prophets. The, the answers to this are right on our church's website. This is very easy information to find. Often people outside of our church think that they know the answer when they don't actually know the answer. We believe in the Jesus of the Bible, just like our evangelical friends and neighbors do. We believe Jesus is the only begotten son of God, born in the flesh, lived among us. He suffered, died, was buried, and rose again. Uh, there, there's an article. I'll link it. It's on the church's website. Details this very, very specifically. We are on the same page in many ways in what evangelicals think about Jesus. This conversation gets hard because they think that we mean something different when we say that. They think we're being disrespectful to Jesus by saying he's a literal spirit child of God, and that he was born at some point. They hear that as he hasn't always been God. He hasn't always existed. They don't understand that we think everybody has always existed. So that brings us to, that's sort of how to get on the same page and our similarities. It brings us to some of the differences. And there are differences in what we think about Jesus and what they think about Jesus. And those differences are wonderful gifts to them if they could see them. So we're not going to collapse all the differences and say, well, we just believe the same things about Jesus, because that's not exactly true, is it? Because evangelicals' view of Jesus is shaped through the creeds, and ours is not, we see some things differently. You, you can confidently say to your friend, yes, we believe in we believe in the same Jesus of the New Testament. We believe the same things about Jesus. And here are some other things that we also believe about Jesus. From, from my perspective as a former evangelical, this is one of the best spots for inspired conversation. And, and I'll tell you why. Your, your friend or family member is going to feel really nervous right now. Oh no, they're going to smuggle in some, some heresy about Jesus, some, some misbelief, some disbelief about Jesus, and they're going to feel really skeptical. I did. One of the best things about Jesus that our church teaches that other churches do not teach is that God continues to reveal himself, that we know things from modern revelation that are not explicitly spelled out in, in the New Testament. As much as we love the New Testament, modern re revelation spells those things out a little bit better, a little bit differently, and provides some new information. 
this makes evangelicals nervous. They're used to being taught that matters about God have been settled and that you can find those settled answers in the Bible and in the creeds. God is done talking in, in any official kind of capacity. They believe they have captured the right answers and corralled them into a fenced yard. And that if they keep those answers in and keep all other answers out, they will be safe. It's an understandable desire. It, it, it really is. I was there. I, I understand what they're getting at with that. And, and this is kind of where I was when I first started learning about the church. The idea that God could reveal more information about himself, it felt like a trick. My loyalty reflex kicked in. But as I came to understand that this new information that God had revealed about himself was good and it was helpful and it brought me closer to him, I began to trust it more. So when Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, visit Joseph Smith in the first vision, we see Joseph learning some things. It takes him a while to put the pieces together. And to be fair, it would take me quite a bit longer. It would take you probably quite a bit longer to put them all together. But once he does, and once he comes to understand that Heavenly Father is a material being, and all that that implies, there's so much goodness in that. Uh, that that's a really, really compelling new piece of information about Jesus. We'll get to that in, a, in another video. What is so compelling about the idea that God has a body, that God and Jesus are two separate beings? We'll, we'll get there. For now, we're just going to say that's very, very good. Evangelicals, they don't reject the first vision because they have a particularly hard heart or because they're not open to God. They reject it because they're skeptical They've been taught to be skeptical out of loyalty. But when you can show them that God revealing himself in new ways means something really good about God, about them, about their relationship with God, they might get curious. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me, to be honest. And another piece of this is Jesus in the Book of Mormon. You know, before I read the Book of Mormon for the first time, I honestly had no idea what it was about. I knew the cultural references to it, and I understood the basics of the story of Joseph and the gold plates. Not a very accurate version of that story, but I kind of had the basics, and that was about it. Um, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I honestly thought that the Book of Mormon was about the early Utah period. I had no idea. So it will come as no surprise to you that I had no idea how much Jesus was in the Book of Mormon. And I studied religion as my as my study in school. I, I'm not a, a religiously illiterate person. I read um, more theology books in a year than most people do in a lifetime, right? And so if I had perhaps above average knowledge in the evangelical world, your friends and family might not have that piece of information either. That Jesus is beautifully revealed in the Book of Mormon. And that if they would risk, and it is a risk for them, if they would risk reading about Jesus in the Book of Mormon, 
they might be surprised that they find him to be the same Jesus that they know in the New Testament. When I was when I was first reading the Book of Mormon, I was pretty skeptical initially. Um, I thought this was most likely a heavily constructed history. I think I called it fan fiction. Um, and and what I did was I decided, okay, I want to read. I, I got curious enough to read it. That's a story for another time. And I decided that I would judge the content of the things that are said in the book on their own merit and almost set aside the story of how did the Book of Mormon come to be? I wasn't wasn't really ready to grapple with that yet, but I really was interested in the content. You guys are talking about Jesus. I adore Jesus. I want to know what you're saying. If your evangelical friends, family members, your Protestant friends and family members are at all open to a conversation about Jesus with you, they might be super surprised and interested to learn that your testimony of Jesus, as found in the Book of Mormon, completely corresponds to the Jesus that we find in the New Testament. It is it is a, a little hard for them to get past that skepticism, and honestly, that has to that might just have to be okay. That might just have to be an issue that gets set aside um, for a conversation. In my experience with evangelicals is that they welcome truth whenever they find it, as long as they can get past the skepticism and past the loyalty tests. So if you're talking with your evangelical friend and they're skeptical about how the Book of Mormon came to be, let it be. Just talk about Jesus. So all the way back to the beginning, if the question is, I thought you didn't believe Jesus is God. You can confidently assure your Protestant and evangelical friends that yes, we believe Jesus is God has always been God. We affirm the Jesus of the new Testament and what it teaches about him. And if they're curious, we have a little more that actually turns out to be pretty good. And if the spirit leads, you might be able to tell them about some of that. Thank you for joining me week one. Come back next week. We will look at another evangelical question that comes in that text. If you have a specific question that you are curious about that an evangelical or Protestant friend or family member has asked you, contact FAIR. I would love to address that when it comes up in the text. See you next time.